0: Everyone knows two things that always go together are fun and religion. (laughs) And uh, you're laughing at that. And that tells us something, actually. That's actually part of what I want to talk about today. You laugh at that because that's like a, a funny concept. Religion and fun. It's kind of like in our minds, like on a gut level, it's like those are two things that are like as far apart as you can get, <laughs> you know, um, religion and fun. Though Even the word religion, it's almost like a wet blanket, you know. Um, it's not something that elicits feelings of just <laughs> fun and happiness. Part of that, you know, here in Quebec, there's a history of religion Uh, being a force that seems to be controlling and uh, hypocritical. It's a concept a lot of people have, so maybe that's part of why religion isn't really a fun concept. But I'm not from Quebec, and I can't say in the United States religion is associated with celebration and fun either. What's going on with that? Is that the way it's supposed to be? I'll tell you, actually, it's not the way it's supposed to be. Um, That's not... The heart of God for what He would like his people to be when they gather in his name and uh actually in the Bible, when it comes to like uh joy and celebration there's actually um, there is there is a symbol for that in the bible there's a there's a there's something given to mankind as a symbol of fun and joy and celebration. And what I'm talking about is, and I think this will make sense to Quebec, the symbol in the Bible for joy and celebration is wine. That's one thing I've noticed since coming here is that uh, in Montreal people, people like wine. Where I come from in Wisconsin, it's more beer. And that's fine. But here it is more wine. And so you guys can understand why the Bible uses wine as a symbol of joy and celebration. Yes? I think so. Um, And where did that come from? Like, wine, where did it come from? It didn't come from people just leaving grape juice out and what happened to this grape juice it seems a little different and oh it makes me feel funny when I drink it no actually wine was very much designed by God for a purpose and one of the purposes is celebration and fun did you know that I'm not making this up Psalm 104, verse 14 to 15. Put that on the screen for a second. Let me read this. He makes grass grow for the cattle and plants for people to cultivate, bringing forth food from the earth, wine that gladdens human hearts, oil to make their faces shine, and bread that sustains their hearts. This psalm is talking about the glory of God's creation. The the summary of the psalm is... Praise the Lord, O my soul, and in talking about the glory of God's creation, and talking about his character and his goodness, one of the things is he created wine to gladden human hearts. And you see this in different ways. Wine in the Bible is a symbol of joy and gladness. But there's actually more to it than that. That's true Because we know when we gather and, you know, have friends together, we celebrate, we drink wine, it's part of relaxation, it's part of, it's part of our our cultural way of celebrating. You get that, and if you like that, I have better news. There's more to it than that, more, along the same line, there's more to it, if you like wine, the, the, the symbol of, of what wine is, the idea of wine, if that's a way that you like to relax and spend time on a Friday night, I have good news for you because there's more along the same line. Maybe think of it this way, you have a, a young woman and there's a, a young man, a prince, and he gives her a gift of a painting, and she loves it. The prince gave me this painting, and she puts it on her wall, and every time she looks at it, it makes her feel good. And then one day, she's showing it to a friend, and the friend takes it off the wall and says, well, what about this message on the back? What is that? What's that? And she says, I didn't know there was a message here. I thought it was just a beautiful painting. Oh, no, there's a message. It's communicating something. Well, as it is with wine, you understand what wine does. Many of you do understand the joy and the celebration that often comes with with drinking wine together in, in friendship. Well, there's a message there. It's given to us from God, and there's a message that goes even farther, and I want to consider that today we have been doing a series on the New Testament book of John. Some of you perhaps have figured out where we're headed today. John chapter 2, Jesus turns water into wine. And there's there's a message there. It's about more than just what's happening on the surface. It's good to bring wine when they run out of wine. That's that's helpful and good, but there's, there's more happening there. I'm going to say a prayer, and we're going to dive into in this passage. Father God, help us see your heart, your character. Help us see the meaning of, of wine and you giving it to mankind. Help us see it in a way that brings us closer to you. And also just pray for our block party, God that it would be a celebration in your name and you would be glorified and people would be drawn in to the joy of the Lord. We ask this in your name, amen. Okay, I'm going to begin reading John chapter 2. Uh, beginning verse 1. It goes like this. On the third day a wedding took place in Cana in, Cana, in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, Okay, so it's a pretty straightforward story. What we're going to do is first look at the surface level, what's going on, the surface level message, and then we're going to go a little deeper into what the sign is, because we read that in verse 11, this was a sign, it was pointing to something. First we'll talk about the surface message, then we'll flip the canvas over and try to figure out what is the message here with this. So, on the surface, this is good stuff. Jesus and his disciples are invited to a wedding. And Jesus goes to the wedding. Why did he go to the wedding? Did he go to preach? Did he go to do miracles? Did he go to turn it into a more religious event than you would expect it to be? No. He went to share in the celebration of a wedding. A friend, a family member, who knows? Some people wonder if it was John's wedding. We don't know. But he went to the wedding to share in the celebration. That tells us something about the character of God when it comes to things like marriage. Things like the the human celebrations that we do. Jesus isn't sitting aside like, no, I'm not going to be part of that sort of fun. Um, and, and not only that, they run out of wine and Jesus is, he makes more, a lot more. Uh, it, it, there was six jars and they each held between 20 and 30 gallons, so we'll just say 25 gallons a piece times six, 150 gallons. I'm in Canada, you don't know what gallons are. Do the math. Uh, We're looking at 560 liters of wine. It's kind of a lot. It's a lot of wine. After they already drank all the wine. So just think about that for a moment. The religious answer that you might expect is, I think you guys have had enough fun for today. (laughs) But Jesus instead brings a lot more wine to the party. And on the surface, there is a lesson that we shouldn't ignore. God is not a killjoy. Jesus is for us. He is for our celebrations. He is for our jo- joy. The God who invented wine, the God who invented celebrating with friends, he is here making more wine, providing more wine. The celebration. So the celebration can go on. I mean, There's, there's more, I mean... Running out of wine would have been a huge disaster for the honor of the host. He's also willing to just help people out. But in the Bible, wine is a symbol for celebrating and joy. Uh, Yeah, a lot of people would expect religion to not do that. And you might be thinking, well, that's because I know people who are Christians who seem to be opposed to anything pleasurable and fun. Or you might be thinking, if I'm honest with myself, that's how I am, and that is how kind of I expect God to be. If it's fun and pleasurable, then God's against it. That is a, that is a way of looking at religion and I'm kind of asking the question where does that come from and I'll keep talking there's a sense in which it comes from the Bible but an incomplete view of the Bible and we'll talk about all that but uh, yeah actually this has been something on my mind and this might this might strike you guys as strange but it's been on my mind so we're doing this block party, right, here in Quebec, okay? It's on a, a Sunday afternoon. We're going to have picnics, you know, bring, bring your own food, bring your own drink. And something I was thinking about is if this was anything other than a church event, you'd be bringing wine, okay? Many of you would. Not all of you. Many of you, if that was like, hey, we're going to have a, a picnic or a grill out at a park, people would bring beer or wine. But because it's at a church... We're like, well, we better not do that. I kind of want to challenge that, to be honest. I kind of want to challenge that. I don't think we're doing anyone a favor by doing that. I mean, I know that wine and alcohol is not for everyone. I have a friend back home, and he's like the most kind and like gentle person I know. And he'll tell you he's allergic to alcohol. And he'll say, every time I drink, I break out in handcuffs. (laughs) Um... (laughs) And, and, and for real, he, 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 if, he, if he starts drinking, he doesn't stop, and, and it's a real problem. Not everyone should drink. Some people have uh, a problem with alcohol, and, and I have all the respect in the world for someone who says, I've learned that alcohol is not helpful in my life. I have all the respect in the world for that. But that shouldn't lead us to have an unbiblical attitude towards alcohol as a whole. I mean, wine was given to gladden the hearts of men, and at a time like a block party where you're celebrating, it's very fitting to have beer or wine. And actually, we called the city, and the city's like, yeah, if people want to bring their own beer or wine to a private event, uh, you know, uh, as long as they're not like wandering out into the streets, you can totally do that. So I'll let you know at a block party, when you bring food and drink, you are welcome to bring beer or wine, of course, if you are of age. And of course, um, don't. Do anything foolish and like, you know, drink three bottles on your own and make a fool of yourself and such. I mean, but I think we know that already. I guess I'm just trying to say that religion in Christ is supposed to be free. There's supposed to be joy. There's supposed to be celebration. And anyways, that's what's on the surface here of this Miracle. On the surface, you have a God who is for us, for our joy, for our celebration, the God who invented wine and gave it to mankind for the reason that you might expect, the same reason you would like to have a bottle of wine, you know, with your friends on a Friday night. That's why God made it. That's supposed to point to the character of God. Don't think of Him as some sort of stern, religious, Killjoy, but now uh, to go to go a little deeper into this parable, uh, not parable, this story. Um, I said there, there's there's more than what's just going on on the surface. Uh, where do I begin? Uh, we read in verse eleven that it is a sign. One of the questions that comes to mind when people when people read it, uh, if you look at verse. Verse 3 and verse 4, when Jesus' mom came and said, we don't have wine, he says to her, woman, why do you involve me? My hour is not yet come. And then he, he does it anyways. And so that is something that people have wondered, what is going on here? First, it seems like Jesus is being kind of rude to his mother, calling her woman. In the context of how people would refer to each other, you know, first century Middle East, it's actually not rude, but it's also not especially polite either. It's certainly abrupt. And there is a bit of a, a rebuke type thing going on. And there is a, a bit of a, a lesson here. Now, some people read this story, and I think they get the opposite conclusion of what's going on here. Some people have said, well, Jesus doesn't want to do something. His mom wants him to do it. She pressures him into doing what he doesn't want to do. And some people have even taken this to kind of levels of like, well, that's why we should pray to Mary, because she's able to get Jesus to do what he otherwise doesn't want to do. Uh, That's not At all, what's going on here? It's actually in some ways the opposite. What's happening here is Jesus is rebuking this idea that she has control over him and she can dictate what he does, kind of like he's not a child anymore who needs to submit to his earthly parents. Now he is on a course of doing the will of God. And this becomes more clear as we keep reading, because people would wonder, well, he seems to say no, but then he does it anyways. What's going on here? When you keep reading the book of John, you see something else that happens that helps us understand this. In John chapter 7, his brothers, so also family members, they want him to go to the festival and show himself. And he says no. I'm not gonna do that, and his reasoning is the same thing he says here. Because my time has not yet come. That's what he tells his mom here. No, my time has not yet come. That's what he says to his brothers. No, my time has not yet come. But then he does go to the festival. But the point is, he's not doing it for their purposes. He is no longer acting um, out of that family responsibility. First and foremost, he's serving God, and and there's a, a longer message there but you know you keep reading the gospels and you see more than once when the crowds wanted to elevate his mom to a special status he says no to that and you see that in Matthew chapter 12 you see that in Luke chapter 11 you can go in and read that yourself so he says my hour is not yet come she says we need wine the people have no wine and he says my hour is not yet come and to understand, you know, the other side of the canvas, the full message here, you have to understand something that Jesus would do. Sometimes people would ask him a surface-level question, and he would respond as if they were asking a big God question. Like, the, 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 this, is, this is later in John, there was some Greeks that showed up, and they wanted to see Jesus. They wanted to meet him. And... And he gets the message that, hey, there's some Greeks here. They want to see you. And he gives this message about if a seed falls to the ground, you know, it dies. But if it bears fruit, it, and it's like, okay, well, what am I supposed to tell the Greeks? Like, um, and the point is Jesus was trying to say, you want to see me? I'm going to tell you the path to actually see me, spiritually see me. You see, he's answering a question as if the question was deeper. And so Mary is saying they don't have wine. And if you understand what wine means in the Bible, and if you understand why Jesus came, you understand that's why he came, to bring forth wine, the joy of the Lord, for a people who were void of that. We, we don't know the joy and the celebration that God wants us to know. You, you know what wine does. It leads people often to have joy and celebration. That's a symbol for something greater. That's a symbol for a gladness, a gladness that God would give. And he's saying the people don't have it. And Jesus is like, you're right, they don't have it. The joy of the Lord is absent here. And yes, I have come to bring it, but my time has not yet come. Okay, but then he does it later as a sign. Okay, well, well let, me, let me show you some more of these parts that, that will point to this deeper meaning here. Um, all the phrasing in the book of John is very intentional. Some of the things he says, he's, he's making subtle points everything he says is very intentional in the beginning it says on the third day a wedding took place which seems a little kind of like he's not really counting days this kind of seems to be saying more than just the third day he's pointing to something and well in christian lingo the third day means something we know that jesus was risen on the third day so he's Kind of like pointing to something, uh, a, a third day, and, he, and you're gonna see as I keep talking, you're gonna see that this actually draws a connection to something that happened in the Old Testament, also. The way that I see it, so so just leave that in your mind. The third day, there's something else here. Um, he turned water into wine, yes, but it wasn't just it wasn't just ordinary water. Um, I mean, it was, but. Uh, the whole deal was there were these water jars and they were empty. And they were the water jars used for ceremonial washing. Okay? So, these water jars were part of their religion, their ritualistic religion. And these jars were empty. And I think there's a message here, and and you see this when you read all the book of John, and when you understand the gospel, there's this message that the ritualistic religion is empty. It doesn't actually bring forth anything to drink. This ritualistic ceremonial washing, that water doesn't really cleanse anything, and, and, and. What Jesus came to do is not simply to do away with that, but to bring forth the joy of the Lord, to replace religious rituals with what those religious rituals were pointing to, which was himself. Instead of empty jars, we've talked about this, instead of instead of empty jars, cisterns that can't hold the water instead there's there's joy celebration from 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 empty jars to jars filled to the brim that's what it says they were full to the brim with with wine with joy with celebration all this all this actually reminded me and I think it it points to this in kind of like a comparing contrast the way it reminds me of something that happened in the Old Testament, and this is where, let me before I read it, this is going to feel to you more like the religion that people think of uh, that doesn't sound like fun. Um, Exodus 19, beginning verse 10. And the Lord said to Moses, go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow, have them wash their clothes and be ready by the third day because on that day the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people put limits for the people around the mountain and tell them be careful that you do not approach the mountain or touch the foot of it whoever touches the mountain is to be put to death they are to be stoned or shot with arrows not a hand is to be laid on them no person or animal shall be permitted to live Only when the ram's horn sounds a long blast may they approach the mountain. After Moses had gone down the mountain to the people, he consecrated them, and they washed their clothes. Then he said to the people, prepare yourselves for the third day. Abstain from sexual relations. On the morning of the third day, there was thunder and lightning with a thick cloud over the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast. Everyone in the camp trembled. Then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. So you can see there's this repeating of the phrase, the third day, where it wants us to draw attention to that. And we also see there's this concept of washing, of being being ceremonial clean. Here we have the people meeting with God. Here we have a religion and it's not so fun, is it? It's actually, brace yourself and don't get too close. It's rather serious. You may have noticed there's this aspect of don't have sexual relations. I think the Hebrew is don't touch a woman, but I mean, that's the the message there. As in, this is a religious time and it is not the time of fun and pleasure. It's the time of serious, the opposite of that. Uh, this is what many people probably think of when they think of religion. Uh, religion is against everything fun and pleasurable. What's going on here? Did God change his mind in the New Testament? I heard someone ask that question a couple days ago. It seems like the God of the Old Testament is. Different than the God of the New Testament. And no, God didn't change his mind. Uh, This is part of the message. This is an incomplete part of the message. But this is part of the message. Let me try to unpack that in a way that is easy to understand. I love to cook. Many of you know that about me. I love to cook, and there's a lot of things that I can provide to make a good culinary experience, spices and ingredients and time I can put into it and all that, but there's a very important ingredient that I cannot provide on my end, and that's hunger. If you show up to the table and you're full, no matter how delicious my food is, you're not going to want it and you're not really going to enjoy it. The heart of God is to give us the joy of the Lord. That's his first heart. That's never changed. God's never changed. That's always been the truth. Jesus came to bring the joy of gladness. Well, because of sin, we have not been hungry nor thirsty for this joy of gladness. We've not been hungry nor thirsty for God. And here, what's happening here in Exodus 19 is right before the Ten Commandments, the giving of the law, thou shalt not, and the soul who sins will meet a God who says these things. If even a beast touches the mountain, kill it. If a person touches it, kill it. Don't get too close. Wash yourself. Brace yourself. What we see here is a very important aspect of God's character that sinners would be good to acknowledge. God is holy, and He hates sin. He hates evil. He hates all things that are opposed to goodness. God is holy. It's very important to acknowledge that. And in acknowledging that, the correct response is, all of us need a Savior. We can't stand before him with being sinners. We can't stand before this mountain. We can't stand before him. Nothing good will come of it. People often say that all religions are the same. I don't know how many times I've heard that. All religions are the same. There's some similarities. I don't know of any religion that says go ahead and kill people. I mean, there's some similarities. I think religions would probably agree murder is wrong, I think. Most of them. But one of the really unique things about our understanding of God is that we need a Savior. And if... And if you don't understand that you need a Savior, it's not just that you have a wrong view of yourself. It's not just that you have a wrong view of humanity. If you don't understand that you need a Savior, you have a wrong view of God. And that's what God's trying to say here. I'm holy. And the soul who sins shall die. So... This is an important aspect of his character. It's not a complete aspect of his character. Completion came in the person of Jesus, but this is important. This paves the way. Now. Now, let's jump to the New Testament and let's put all this together because there's a passage that, that ties it all together. We're going to jump to the, the book of Hebrews. Hebrews. Um, Chapter 12, beginning verse 18. You have not come to a mountain that can be touched, and that is burning with fire, to darkness, gloom, and storm, to a trumpet blast, or to such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further word be spoken to them because they could not bear what was commanded. If even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned to death. The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling with fear. Pause for a second. Obviously, that New Testament passage is talking about Exodus 19, what we just read. And he's saying, that's not what we're doing here. That's not what you're coming to. I want you to meet God. That Moses brought the people to meet God. And he said, get ready. You're going to meet God on the third day. Brace yourself. And here in the New Testament, saying, that's not what we're doing. That's not what I'm bringing you to. That's not the religion that we're bringing forth. And then you begin, verse 22, but you... Have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn, whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. There's a bit of theology here, but the heart of it is we've come to a mountain of joy. We have not come to a religion of gloom and darkness and don't smile, don't have fun, don't have pleasure, don't drink wine, don't, don't, don't. We've come to celebration, to to angels, uh, thousands upon thousands of angels, joy, and the joy is found, the righteous made perfect, the spirits of the righteous made perfect. We have come not as sinners. We have not come before the mountain of God as sinners. We've come as those who have been made perfect. How have we been made perfect? How have we been made perfect? Through the blood of a savior. And that's why when Jesus' mom came and said to him, we need wine, we don't have wine. And Jesus said, my time has not yet come. What he meant was, yes, that is what I have come here for. Yes, that that is what I have come to purchase. I've come to give my life so that the people may have all the life, all the joy, all the celebration. That's what I've come. It hasn't happened yet. So what happened at the wedding of Cana Yes, he did produce wine, but that was not what the wine that that's not what he truly came for. Wine, I told you, it points to something. It points to something. What does it point to? The joy of the Lord through the giving of the Holy Spirit. Wine, a good sign, a good symbol, a gift for mankind, it points to something greater. You know how wine has an intoxicating effect and it was designed to? That points to something. Uh, Ephesians 5 says, Don't get drunk on wine. And again, I've been talking about wine and alcohol, and I tell you it's a good thing created by God to gladden the hearts of men. Good, good, good. Drunkenness is not good, okay? Uh, drunkenness is where you're losing control, you're giving yourself over, and you're out of control. There is an intoxicating effect that is not drunkenness. There is an intoxicating joy where you're you're still in control, but you are you are feeling the effects of wine. That's not bad. Okay? Drunkenness, bad. So Ephesians 5 says, don't get drunk with wine, for that leads to debauchery. Okay, it leads to sin, it leads to nothing good. We know this. But that's not the whole point. He says, do not get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. And what he's saying here is, the Spirit, you know that, you know how you just want to. Um, experience this overflowing fullness, yes, God's provided a way for that. Yes, that's the heart of God. Yes, that's the goal. Yes, that's what wine is supposed to point to. Joy, celebration, the giving of the Spirit. That's why Jesus came. That's why, that's why his hour um, of giving his life. We, we see this in the Song of Solomon. We could talk a lot about the Song of Solomon. It's a a love song regarding love and marriage. But it's also pointing to the love between God and his people. And a phrase that's repeated is, your love is better than wine. Your love is better than wine. Your love is better than wine. You see that a bunch of times. And the idea is, like, we know wine. We know that it, it has an intoxicating, joyful effect. The love of God through the Spirit, that's what it points to. So if you like wine, if you like the idea of wine, and maybe, maybe you don't drink alcohol because in the past you've liked it too much and it's caused a problem. I'll never forget my, my friend Landon. I've told him about you. I've told you about him before. Wine was a problem for him. Beer was a problem for him. Alcohol was a problem for him. And he said, he had a dream, okay, and I'm not going to get into that, but he said, I'm not drinking anymore for now. But Jesus said, I'm not going to, drink of the fruit of this vine until I do it again with you in my father's kingdom. Jesus, uh, my my friend Landon, he said, I'm not going to, I'm not going to drink anymore for now. I'm going to give it up because it's not helpful for me now, but I'm going to drink it again when Jesus returns in his kingdom. We're going to have wine together. We're going to drink together. And that's a physical reality. That's not an abstract thing. That's not a a spiritual thing. That's a physical reality. We're going to dine with him. We're going to, drink wine with him in his kingdom. So that's what all this points to. I'm going to pray. We're going to have a Q&A. Me talking about alcohol makes me think that you guys are going to have questions, which is good, which is good. Um, we'll talk about that. First, I'm going to pray. Father God, I pray that our religion would be such as this. We, Our religion would be one of joy and celebration um, and your spirit would be evident, overflowing in our lives. Lord, I pray that we would be as those empty jars that you would fill to the brim with your spirit, Lord. Oh, that we would be the empty jars. We say to you, God, fill us. We ask you for that spirit filling, Washing away our sin and filling us with the joy that we don't deserve, the joy of having a relationship with a God who loves us, a God who is good, even though we're sinners. Through the cost of your blood, Jesus, fill us with your spirit and let us know the joy that wine points to. In your name, amen.
1: There's a question back there, if somebody can uh, walk the mic over. If you haven't gotten your kids yet, we'd welcome you to go and get them because we believe that it's an important time for them to be a part of the conversation here in this room. It's good for them to see us digging deeper and uh, reasoning together. So go ahead, Carlos.
2: this is son? Yeah, sorry, I'm gonna be probably a bit long with my preamble to the question, forgive me. Um, I love a nice glass of of wine on a cold beer. Enjoy it, especially on a hot day. Um, Yesterday we buried my mother, and afterwards we went for a meal. We were about 40 people, friends, relatives, And uh, as we ate and talked, we had fun, we had fun. Not a drop of alcohol served. Um, You know, marketing uses that formula. Fun equals alcohol. And they're very successful with it. Um, Thinking about the next Sunday, if I would invite some of my friends or some of the people I am would love to introduce to Christ, I'm afraid some of them will be offended if they see alcohol served in some of the circles. Um, again, I, I love uh, to have fun, but... Um, I want to be careful to associate too much fun with alcohol. I come from an alcoholic family, and I know the terrible, terrible results of, yeah, going a bit off the rail. Um, question then, Paul says that um, those meat sacrificed to idols are okay. You can eat them. But because of some of the. Of those that would be offended by my doing that, I, I abstain. What do you think of that? Thanks. Very good question. And you, he totally brought
0: up uh, a good and which has been in my mind that if someone is offended or, or causes a brother to stumble, though it's something it might be okay for Christians to do, there might be a context where our freedom would mean it would be good not to do it, okay? And you can make a very good case that for this reason, uh, like, like for me, if I, am, uh, uh, if I have someone over to my house who they think that alcohol is wrong, and they, uh, I mean, I, I don't drink very much myself, but uh, if I, w- let's say I was in the mood to have a beer and I had someone over, who I knew thought alcohol was wrong, I wouldn't drink a beer in that context. And so actually, to be honest, I've really given it some thought in the sense of that could be a good reason why church events should never have alcohol. And to be honest, that is primarily the reason why historically church events never have alcohol except for weddings. Weddings often do, not always. At weddings, Christians have often said, well, this is a time that we're just going to do it anyways, and (laughs) hope that people aren't offended. So there's context where people will do it anyways. But here's, I'm going to respond to the question because it's a good one. Every time, we're we're a missionary. Uh, This is a missionary endeavor, okay? Every time, uh, every time missionaries attempt to do mission work, they always have to skate on the verge of offending people. And let me just explain another example that might might be obvious, okay? There are people that are greatly offended by drums. Have you ever heard that? Like, Like having drums in the service? That's really offensive. In fact, I was just talking to someone last week, like the idea of like, that's like devil music, okay? And that came from like the idea of like back in the day there was... They didn't have rock and roll, and when rock and roll emerged, it was all associated with, with bad stuff. And it's like, that's devil music. So you can make a case that we should not have drums at church because there might be someone who is offended. Or electric guitar. Some people would have that same feeling. Where we always have to make decisions of, yes, this might offend someone, but this is part of our, our worship, and this is part of us connecting with a culture that doesn't see drums as bad okay by and large in quebec they don't see wine as bad okay so i don't think i I do think yes there's gonna be people who could be offended i mean don't get me wrong it's not like we're gonna be handing out beer to everyone who comes here but if you're having a picnic and you want to bring your own i'd say that's fine um and yes there is a risk that people will be offended by that but as missionaries we're constantly having to ask that question Is this a strategic, yes, we're going to possibly offend people, but is this a strategic way to do this to show who God is in the culture? And I really think it is. So uh, hopefully that answers the question.
1: So here's a good question. Why did Jesus make 500 plus liters of wine and didn't emphasize on not drinking too much?
0: Um... I mean, people know. We already know that, like, we already know that, like, we shouldn't, I mean, drunkenness, we already know that's a good thing. Uh, I mean, not a good thing. Um, And that really wasn't the point, the point of the message. On the surface, he's creating wine, but the purpose of John 2 is not to do an expose on alcohol. Uh, So, that's that's probably what I'd say about, and you know what? I'm going to go ahead and mention this. Like I say, wine is a symbol of joy and gladness in the Bible. But drunkenness is actually in many ways a symbol of judgment in the Bible. Like the nations will stagger. Like one who is, you know, uh, out of control. Like being like kind of in this drunken stupor is a a symbol of the one who is blind to the, the judgment of God that is coming. So it's probably also worth mentioning. Yeah.
1: Why did God only show the incomplete view of his character in the Old Testament and cause many people back then and now to view him as a harsh love-killing bloody God?
0: Um, I would say he did not only show his partial character in the Old Testament. You see, like in the giving of the, the Ten Commandments, where yes, that's there. He says, I am the Lord your God who delivered you from Egypt, who showed you his My goodness, Like you can see it. You can see in the Old Testament lots of ways that God is pointing to his character. But it is true that the mystery of the Old Testament is brought forth clearly in the New Testament. And again, the reason why it didn't just start with Jesus is because if it started with Jesus, we would have a world that wasn't ready for Jesus, a world that wasn't interested in Jesus. And so the reason why God is showing holiness largely in the Old Testament, is because holiness paves the way for sinners to understand the need for salvation.
1: We've got a question over here. Go ahead.
2: Uh, uh, Just to come back to the the wine and alcohol, um, is there a parallel with recreational drugs?
0: Is there a parallel with recreational drugs? Wow, that's a longer uh, question. Have fun. Yep, okay, my oh my, here we go. You know what? This actually, first, would be one of those times that would be helpful for me to say, Christians can totally disagree. There's Christians that believe that Christians should never drink. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to um, disagree with you, biblically. I don't think that's a biblical idea, but some people think it is. That's okay, You know, if you're still okay with me, I'm okay with you. Like we can, if Christians are going to argue about those things, I think it speaks more about immaturity than it does about doctrine. And there's a lot of secondary issues that fall into that character category of things that we shouldn't be fighting about. Recreational drugs. Here's a simple one with recreational drugs. Most of them are illegal. And so, biblically speaking... We're not supposed to break the law. So, there's that. Okay. Also, many of those drugs are illegal for very good reason. They are addictive in a level that... uh, I mean, alcohol can be addictive for people, for sure. Um, They're addictive in a level that alcohol isn't. But um, even if things... All things are permissible, not all things are beneficial, I I will not allow anything to have mastery over me. If something has mastery over you, that uh, presents a new level. Oh, man. Um, I'm sitting up here deciding whether or not I want to have a conversation about marijuana, which is legal, or if we should just save that for a longer time. Well, we have about a minute. Okay. (laughs) Better not, because it's a longer conversation. (laughs) Because marijuana, as you know, is legal, and uh, there's some questions that people probably have, and I have a long history in my life with marijuana, to be honest. I will never smoke it again. I've smoked plenty of it in my life. Uh, but I also have thoughts theologically about it. And uh, you can ask that perhaps another time. I'm not sure if we're ready for that conversation right now. <laughs> Me or you. <laughs> so.
1: Well, on that note, let's just pray. Father, we thank you for this time together where we can unpack issues that are uh, cultural but also close to our heart. Thank you that you have spoken to us, and we now want to turn our hearts towards you once again in worship, because you are a good God deserving our worship. Father, you have created things that bring us joy, and for that we're grateful. In Jesus' name, amen.